Will it be the running of the Bulls or Mercedes Matador dominating in Catalonia? Welcome to the Racing Podcast. My name is Adam. Alongside me is Mitch. How's it going today? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm looking forward to Spanish Grand Prix, a.k.a. Yes! Round four in our title championship. Yeah, two races in two weeks. And can we get a response from Red Bull? Should be interesting to see. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> Again, we mentioned kind of last time that Max won here in Spain in his very first race. But that was because of a Mercedes folly between, well, infamous Nico Rosberg and uh, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton crash, which didn't make Nicky Lauda too happy. But, yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm really hoping that Red Bull can show their stuff here and um, show out, have a good performance, uh, and potentially finish with two bulls ahead of both Mercedes. Bull Who predictions? knows? Uh, that that is an interesting prediction to start off the podcast. I like it. But yeah, there's plenty to talk about in the race, including uh, a new uh, tweak to the f- layout of the track and potential weather. But before we get to that, let's get to the news of uh, this week. First, it was kind of interesting in the media scrums on Thursday. Valtteri Bottas was kind of asked about the whole um, contract situation. Just obviously with his performances so far this year and George Russell, not at Portimao, but the other couple of races, well, particularly the race at Imola, you know, could we see Russell replacing Bottas? And Bottas said uh, he knows he's not going to be replacement season in that quote. There is only one team that does that kind of thing in F1. And that was a nice little shot at Red Bull. <laughs> it's not Mercedes. That whole joke of a carousel with uh, Gasly and Albon was just really sad to see. I mean, it's never easy to see a driver essentially get the boot from a team midway through the season. Um, And I think it would be a different story if, like, Red Bull replaced Pierre Gasly with, like, Daniel Ricardo or somebody else from outside of the Red Bull system. Right. But good shot by Valtteri on that case. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I know he hasn't had a, the greatest of years, but, I mean, Mercedes still is leading the points. He's not diminishing Hamilton, so I, I don't see any reason why he'd change the status quo right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially because of how he... You know, even though he hasn't performed necessarily up to snuff so far, uh, it is only Lando ahead of him in the standings. And secondly, he has performed so well over the last several years that he's part of the reason why they've been able to win seven straight Constructors' Championships. Yeah. He has a small part of that history, so you can't just throw him out midway through the season. Exactly. And... I would like to see him have a bit of a bounce back race, though, um, in Spain. I mean, he he can't keep taking the lead. The last race at Portimao had a great qualifying, snuck by Hamilton to take pole, and then he just kind of sputtered out as the race went on. And he, I, I'd like to see a race where he just takes the lead and and takes it. Maybe takes it to Hamilton going into turn one. Who knows? Maybe not quite Rossberg and Hamilton. Maybe we'll wait until uh, Russia for that, for Valtteri. 
He'll yeah. sit in third, and then I'll overtake Hamilton and just run away with the race. A bee will hit him in the face, and he'll take the lead. Ooh. <laughs> just like last year. Mm-hmm. Let's stick with Mercedes, though, because uh, there's a potentially the feel-good story of the year, and I'm really looking forward to France, and I don't usually say that for this. Romain Grosjean is going to get that chance to end his F1 career on his own terms. Uh, after the crash in Bahrain, he said, you know, he wants a better memory than obviously being in a fiery car, barely getting out unscathed. And Toto Wolff told him while he was in hospital, listen, we'll give you a shot in the, uh, the Mercedes. And they announced earlier this week, it's official, Grosjean will drive the, Mercedes, the 2019 Mercedes around his home track in France at Paul Ricard. Basically, he'll get a few laps around the track before the race on Sunday, so he'll be able to drive in front of home fans if permitted. And then uh, a private test a couple days after the race, so that is so awesome to see. Yeah, very, very happy for uh, Roman. I mean, of course, his racing career is still continuing in IndyCar, but just the fact that he gets that opportunity to sit in the seat again, and I mean, not to mention, he looks good in Mercedes colors, first of all. That was kind of just like, ooh, very enticing. And I think the meme world took off, like I shared with earlier today with you, that all the memes came out all of a sudden. It's like, oh no, Valtteri Bottas really has to worry about his seat because Roman Grosjean's going to take it. <laughs> but not going to happen. But it's just nice to see him in a Mercedes car and right on for Total Wolf, you know, who has been with Roman Grosjean and like known him in the paddock and whatever for many, many, many years to take this act for him and just allow him to feel what it would have been like Especially because, again, he, Roman was a, in a Haas car that was nowhere near <laughs> in front of the field in 2019. So to give him a car that was there all year and just give him a chance to run it in his home GP, in his home circuit, that's phenomenal. I, I like to think it's like an alternate universe where Mercedes signed Roman and then he gets his chance to drive out in 2019 in the Mercedes uh, rather than the uh, unfortunate circumstance of driving for Haas. I mean, there were some good times. He had some great results for the team, but, you know, I think he's really looking forward to driving a fast car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm curious to see, too, kind of how how hard Roman goes. Because, of course, you know, he's driving an Indy car. Sure, it's got the same kind of twists and turns as an F1 car, but especially at a place like France where sure there's the technical sections of the track, but there's also several long straights that you can just floor it yeah, and give it everything you have. And I think it's, I mean, it's going to be fun to see Roman. I, I mean, if I was him, you couldn't help but smile for that whole lap pretty much. Oh yeah. Or however many laps you're out there, you, he'll be smiling the whole time. Absolutely. And I really hope they get fans in France for the race because it'd be a good farewell to F1 for him. Instant standing ovation. Yeah, absolutely. If he does go for it and goes a little too far overboard, at least with France, there's a lot of track between the wall and the uh, and off track. So 
You know, I wasn't going to touch on that. I did think about it while I was still talking. I was like, do I mention the fact that there's a lot of room in case he goes too far? But you, <laughs> you know don't what? want to tempt mean, fate. That's, <laughs> it's the one time you're going to be in Mercedes. Why not go all out? <laughs> yeah, just a great story. Absolutely. Next thing we'll look at is Mr. Sergio Perez. He was reflecting a bit on his rough start to the year. Kind of interesting, he said that he needs to follow what Max Verstappen is doing rather than what he's been used to doing. He said he's learned a lot in Portimao by having a clean race, and uh, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting him saying, you know, he's he's so used to kind of driving in one way, now he has to learn how to drive the other way, the way that Max drives. And I think the reason he says that is because of the fact that Max has had tons of success in this car. Red Bull and to have Albon and Gasly not live up to expectations not be able to carry that car to the front of the grid as Max has I think Sergio being in the sport for so long is smart enough to say you've done this why do I have to try to mold force my driving style on this car and try to make the two work when I can look at you a blueprint of somebody who's successful in this car and maybe try to pull a few things that will help me along the way. Even to the simple fact, you think about when they were in Imola, the start in the wet, it's like Max shifted up to second gear to take off yeah. off the five red lights, and that ended up netting him first place through the first corner. Or second corner, I guess, technically. But Sergio, having not been in the car, Max maybe has tried that and knows that that works for that car. You know, right. more often than not, off the start, where Sergio being in a racing point last year, maybe his starts are just, you start in first, and it's the best thing for the car, you work your way up. Maybe it's something as simple as that for Sergio. As soon and as I, the five red lights go out, shift to second gear, and you're off. Yeah, and, and I think it really does help the team as well, because then they can, they don't have to worry about preparing two different cars. They can focus on repair, or preparing kind of the same setup for both cars and then Sergio just kind of needs to adapt to it and you don't have any kind of conflicting setups that are a little bit different for one and different for the other that are I mean obviously every driver is going to have a different setup to what they like but when you have something too drastic it's just a lot to and you can't really match the data up when you're both doing laps so I think him compromising and following kind of what Max is doing is a, a good idea, and I really hope it does kind of help him get back into the front of the pack. Me too. And, I mean, it's a it's a positive for me that Checo is humble enough to admit that he needs to look at what Max is doing to find, you know, just that little extra edge. Because you look at the races so far this year, it's not, I mean, aside from spinning an Imola and, you know, the fighting from the back of the field in Bahrain to start the year, Checo's been there on pace. Like, there's a reason he out-qualified Max in Imola. And then even through the weekend in Portimao, like, he was on the same row as Max to start the race. So he obviously is extracting enough pace out of the car that he sits at the front, again, with the exception of Bahrain, but it's just this, just that little bit, the tipping point for me that is like if Checo, being humble enough to admit that he needs to look at Max, can find it, 
I think that's where this whole season, I mean, obviously Mercedes ahead in the constructors by 18 points, but that could just tip the scale in Red Bull's favor, and then we'll have a whole different story for the rest of the season. I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it's exciting prospect nonetheless. Yeah, especially in a uh, season where Valtteri is not looking too strong, this race could be a perfect opportunity to start that climb back in the standings. Mm-hmm. But speaking of a climb back in the standings, it's a good race this weekend for a couple of Spaniards in our field. First yes. of which is hoping to climb his team back up the leaderboard a little bit. Fernando Alonso and the Alpines uh, looking to build off a good weekend from Portimao. Yeah, that one should be an interesting battle between the two. Uh, last time they were kind of on the same track. I'd say it was a little unfair just because I, I guess that would have been when Alonso was in the uh, underpowered McLaren. And then Sainz would have been, that probably he would have been in the Renault at that time. And that one was definitely faster than the uh, McLaren. And I think that was in season one of actually Dry, uh, of Dry to Survive. I think that was in the first season. I believe so, yes, because Daniel just got there in season two of Drive to Survive, and then he spent two years in Renault. So, yeah, Carlos was just tail end of his tenure with uh, Renault during that year, in 2018. Right. I, I think it's going to be a lot closer. We saw Alonso had a really good race in Portimao. Signs not so much. Alonso finished ninth, and Signs fell from fifth to 11th. So... I think it could be quite entertaining. They got a thousand fans expected for race day, and I hope they get quite a show. Um, also, also kind of interesting. Alonso was mentioned talking about his performances so far this year. Uh, he rates himself a five out of ten. So, if he can get up to ten out of ten, oh boy, it could be dangerous for the Alpines and dangerous for the midfield. I mean, I mean, Esteban Ocon hasn't had the best start to the year for Alpine. But with his running his last year, especially late in the season for Renault, he showed what he can do. And so if Fernando can crank that up from five to even eight within the next two races, and Esteban can find his form as he had in Portimao, this will be a very tasty back half of the first third of the season, if you will. <laughs> I mean, we're still, this is race four. But... Um, I mean, Fernando is still just getting used to the car. Sure, he's raced elsewhere it's since 2018, and he left Formula One. But it takes a lot to get in these cars. I mean, so for him to say 5 out of 10, it just adds to the intrigue and makes it that much more exciting coming into the weekend. Yeah, because right now we kind of have a two-horse race for the battle for third. And it'd be good to see a third team get back in there. I was thinking... Aston Martin might be in that battle, but they're nowhere to be found. Alpha Tauri can be good if Gasly's on his game and Sonoda is as well, but they've had some flashes. Not a lot of great results in the end. Well, and but, we have to remember with Alpha Tauri that Sonoda is a rookie. Last weekend was the first time he's ever driven Portimao. So, <laughs> like, he, for us to expect him from last weekend to finish. You know, in that middle of the points was just unfair to ask of him being a rookie in F1 and a rookie at the track in general. True. But at a track like Spain, F2's raced here for many years. Sonoda knows the track. So I think, especially from Alfatari this weekend, we might see a little bit of a different story. 
I hope. Yeah, and with this I being hope. a track where every where the F one teams do their off season training, there's gonna be they're gonna have a lot of data, a lot of information to give to Sonoda. And I, I think he could have a bounce back weekend and maybe he could get a second points finish. Who knows? So that would be exciting for him, for sure. Yeah, I still think it is a two-horse race for third, but in the standings for the teams. But um, who knows? We've got one or two more teams that could be fighting back in there. Who knows? Alfa Romeo could have a wild weekend. Things could change in the blink of an eye. Like that's that's I think the part that's really exciting about Formula One is you mentioned Alfa Romeo. If all of a sudden they've flipped the car on for Spain, let's say. And Kimi and Antonio finish 6-7 in the standings. Like, that is what? That's like 22 points, or just under 20 points, I think, out of those two positions. Which, Ferrari's only at, well, they're at 42. But still, to add 20 points, you half that. Especially, let's say, then, if the Ferrari has a bad weekend and they're outside the points. Yeah. Because of reliability or because of just, you know, bad pit stop. Or just bad performance, like, as we said, with signs. Mm-hmm. Fit to out of the points. So, there's obviously, there's after this race, there's still a whole 19 races to go. So, so much could change. And it's exciting to watch these standings continue to evolve uh, through the season. So, One of the most exciting F1 seasons that we've had in a while. This early on, anyway. I really, yeah, I really hope it doesn't. Like, the second half isn't completely decided, and we're just like, oh, well, this is boring. Another year. <laughs> <laughs> At least the first half was good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk more F1 coming up in a bit, but uh, I want to transition to some other news and other series, including NASCAR. They revealed earlier this week their next-gen race cars will be racing in 2022. They're all so pretty. They look so I love them slick. so much. <laughs> Now, if you're looking for something crazy cosmetic change, you're not going to get it. Because remember, this is a stock car series. So these are manufacturers. They want to put their cars in the track that look similar to the cars you'll be driving. Well, obviously not extremely similar, but kind of the same design as what you're going to be seeing out on the road. So they got a Chevy Camaro, ZL1, the Ford Mustang, and a Toyota TRD Camry. Those are the cars they're bringing forward for uh, next season. In terms of the designs themselves, the cars are kind of built to take a bit more damage from the walls or other cars. They're taking kind of a composite design into the bodies of the cars. That's what they've been using the Xfinity series. And those cars, they can take a few hits on the walls without causing any issues. Like right now, one of the big issues with the Cup Series cars is you touch some guy's wheel or you touch kind of the bodywork around his wheel, it'll cut into the wheel and they got a cut down tire. And it just kind of takes away from the whole look of nascar if you know there's that bumping and banging but still being able to go around the track that's what it, it looks like this composite body should be able to hold up a little more which is always great to see you'll see a lot more closer racing and we talk about bump drafting to a whole new level now you don't even have to worry about any damage yeah exactly maybe bump in the side to get out of my way who knows <laughs> bumper cars in nascar <laughs> How about this? The return to the dirt track with these new cars. You could have a full-out derby. <laughs> you Demolition could. Demolition derby. Run people into the wall. The car stands up. They keep going. 
I guarantee you there's a lot of owners who would disagree with that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. They Their pocketbooks are sitting there going, why are you saying this, Mitch? That's we don't need of millions that. of dollars. <laughs> oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe not hundreds of millions. That's a little extreme. Hundreds of thousands, let's say. Um, other other changes to the cars. Uh, they're going to be lifting the cars a little bit up more from the track, allowing a little more of drafting because obviously... Or, or a little closer racing because there's that air kind of getting underneath the car. So it doesn't, it, it forces them to kind of lose a little bit of speed as well. They're having bigger tires, which is kind of interesting. So should have some more mechanical grip in the turns. Uh, and one other cool thing I thought, or a couple more cool things. For broadcast, it sounds like they're going to kind of do something like what F1 has. And they're going to get an in-car camera for every car. Uh, and then also... A bit of a change from very traditional NASCAR driving. Five gears. Not like that traditional H-pattern four-gear shifter. And I'm really looking forward to that in-car camera thing because I find that there's a lot of replays of crashes that happen further back in the field where camera guy's just finally catching it and it's midway through the spin. Should catch a lot more of those for sure. I don't know if there's any way you could miss one if you got a camera in every single car. Unless a crash hits the camera. Yeah, so a lot going on with those next-gen race cars. Those, are, again, are going to be out next season. Sounds quite interesting. But from looking ahead to looking to the past, NASCAR this weekend is in Darlington for their special flashback race where they all kind of do their tribute paint schemes. One of my favorite race weekends because I love seeing all the throwbacks and why the drivers chose to go and throw their cars back to whichever driver drove in the past. Uh, all three series are going to be doing it. So the trucks, Xfinity series, and the Cup series. Posted link to the paint schemes on our Twitter account. That's at the A Racing Pod. And yeah, I, it's so awesome to see all those old school paint schemes. Uh, one of my favorites right now for this weekend. They're going back to the old Dale Jarrett car from the early two thousands with the UPS logo. Maybe nice. not UPS, but yeah, it, it's I I, I love. I love this weekend in terms of uh, maybe not even the results or how exciting the racing is. Just seeing those old school cars going around in circles is so fun to watch. Taking a walk through the past. I wonder if they're going to follow the theme of the flashbacks with the music played on the broadcast too. They have done that in the past. I, I don't know if Fox usually does that. NBC has definitely gone all out before where they've had like Ned Jarrett who did the races back in the 90s uh, come on the broadcast they've had the old school like NBC Peacock coming out <laughs> and it's like oh man I, I love old year, school we're broadcasting it in black and white <laughs> look at all these paint schemes we've brought out let's put it all in black and white you guys saw them in color on social media now you will see them in black and white yeah <laughs> Defeats uh, the purpose. Would be a bit of a buzzkill. So, still, would be will be quite interesting to see how those cars look out on the track. Um, did want to mention a quick note, racing-wise. Bummer for the lone Canadian in the truck series and kind of one of the challenges when you're driving a car, funding. So, GMS Racing announced that uh, Rafael Lassard, uh, he, does no, or he no longer has a ride for 2021. He finished 8th last weekend. Um, was 13 of the points. He was in contention for the playoffs, but um, Lassard said that funding was the issue. So uh, one of the challenges, obviously, of trying to 
keep a car going for a maybe lesser funded racing team, you, you just got to find the cash. And unfortunately, he was unable to, and Ooh. he's out of a ride for this season. So, Talk about a bummer for sure. Especially because he's Canadian. Yeah. Like, come on. Well, and I think that's one of the challenges too, right? Unfortunately, there's probably a lot of companies that look at Canadian racers and go, I don't know what they can do, especially in NASCAR where there's not, there hasn't been a lot of big names that have been consistently strong. We had some brief stints with like Patrick Carpentier and Ron Fellows, who is like a road course ringer. And there hasn't really been a consistent Canadian NASCAR driver who can perform week in and week out. So I, I think a lot of the companies kind of look at that and go, well, you know, rather than give this guy a chance, we don't want to commit to Monday. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's one of those things that we talked about earlier, Valtteri Bottas losing his ride halfway through the season. It's just a fact of racing sometimes. Absolutely. So hopefully he doesn't stay out for too long and he's able to find his way into some other series. Yeah, and he was saying that he's uh, hoping to get back into the truck series for 2022, so hopefully that does happen. Another guy looking to get back into racing, and if he gets back into racing, it's comeback story of the century, is Mr. Robert Wickens. You might remember three years ago, there was a terrible crash at Pocono that he was involved in. He ended up getting some spinal damage, paralyzed from the waist down. It was a terrifying crash but he's had an incredible recovery been posting on social media him being able to walk on his feet obviously not full power walking and but being able to move his feet move his legs make some movement but uh over this past week he was able to do a test over at uh, mid-ohio in one of the uh, imsa cars uh, for modified sports car, so he can use his hands to accelerate and brake. So, uh, it's so cool to see him back in race car for the first time in three years. It's a long road to recovery for him, but like you said, if he's able to make this work, and yeah, he's able to kind of waddle around, starting to regain that ability to walk, he probably won't ever be able to drive with his feet again, necessarily, depending on, again, the, the strength build up for him and everything like that, but if he could become like the first guy in some racing series to drive with his hands, that would be just so sweet for him. And just great to see him back out there again. Um, obviously a long road still, like we said, but um, we're hoping the best for him and he would be a welcome addition again if he's able to get there. Well, it's quite interesting because there's a couple of guys you can look to. One was uh, Schmidt-Peterson, who he was driving with uh, before or at the time of the crash, and Schmidt-Peterson had a crash. He was paralyzed, and but ended up modifying his car so he could drive. Uh, that design was more of, I think it would involve him using a tube where he would kind of like bite on the tube to accelerate the car. And that's kind of the same thing that Robert used for uh, kind of a one-lap drive around Toronto the year after the crash the the another guy he can look at for inspiration as well Alex Sinardi he had a harrowing uh injury 
got back into an IMSA car, and he actually drove in the 24 hours of Daytona. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, there are other people he can look at and talk to for advice and for inspiration and know, hey, you know what? He's done it. I can do it. Very exciting. It would be just great to see him out there again. I'd love to see him back in IndyCar. That'd be crazy. To go all the way back for him from where he was, especially after that crash, oh my. That would be, of the decade, the comeback story for sure. Oh, man. Sorry, NBA people and (laughs) NFL guys. No, this is the story. (laughs) Maybe not with everybody, but in the sports world as a whole, I think it would be for sure. Yeah. Uh, looking ahead to this weekend, we've got, as mentioned, a couple races. F1, Spanish Grand Prix, Circuit de Catalunya, Barcelona. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, very familiar track. They're doing tests in there every year. Uh, except for this year, they were at Bahrain for testing this season. So that's kind of interesting. And a bit of a modification for this weekend's F1 race. So normally, when you're coming off the first DRS straight of the lap, not the main long stretch. There's a kind of in the back stretch spot. There's a usually a sharp left hander, which is turn 10, which then leads to another left hander and then a sweeping right. This year, though, they're using the outer turn. So now you'll have drivers heading into a more gradual left hand turn. And it's more of a sweeping left than a sharp left. So now in my show notes, I initially said could limit passing opportunities, but I did. I was reading a couple of drivers who were saying that it actually could improve it because people could stay side by side as they head into the turn rather than one guy trying to dive to the inside and compromising their line and not getting the speed to come off a sharp turn. So I expect a couple of uh, around the outside calls from Crofty this weekend. Hey, you know what? I, I love around the outside. That'd be fun. With a sweeping left and a sweeping right, you'll see those battles. You'll see somebody come in around the outside. You get the inside line in the second half. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's a few turns I wanted to point out. Maybe this is from my F1 virtual racing experience on this track. I play a lot of video games, people. (laughs) The few turns that are kind of tough. uh, Turn three is probably one of the toughest turns to master. It's a long right-hander. Uphill off camber. Yeah, up, uphill off camber, and, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting to go full throttle. And you just keep waiting, and then eventually you can hit it. But you don't want to hit it too early, because if you do, well, you're going to probably spin off into the inside wall. And when you get to full throttle, you only have like 300 meters before you take another right-hand turn. Yes, exactly. And that, that was the spot where Rossberg and Hamilton collided. So... I mean, it, I find that section's very hard. Also, uh, being able to n- nail... T- uh, really, the other two spots are leading up to the two DRS zones. Turn 9, if you're... Initially, it's not too bad, because that's a high-speed right-hander heading onto the first DRS straight. It, it's normally pretty good when you've got fresh tires, all good to go. But once you start to get the tire wear, it's a little bit more dicey of a turn to handle. And if you kind of slip up... The guy behind you is ready to pounce. And now with that new DRS zone, and the, or not the new DRS zone, but the new... Sweeping left-hander. You know what? You could lose one, two, or three positions. Who knows? And the other one is that second last turn because it's got a bit of a... It's very tight left-right. And then you go to a sweeping right to get onto the front stretch. 
Um, I've found that I've stumbled out quite a few times, and then all of a sudden the AI is right on my rear tires as they're coming to the DRS zone. So Right up your gearbox, yep. Exactly. So you got to be right on it and get the power down to the right time on that last turn, or you could be completely vulnerable to a pass on the front stretch. And that last turn is awkward in a sense too. So you go through that chicane before you hit the sweeping right onto the main start finish straight. But right after the second part of that chicane, that right-hander, there's the entrance to the pit lane. Yeah. There too, which makes it so awkward because when you run out, like typically out of chicane, when you come out the second half, you run wide to maximize the track so you can carry speed. But if you're having somebody who's pitting, you could potentially hold up the driver behind you basically until it's too late for a car that might have been, let's say, five-tenths back coming through that chicane. All of a sudden now, let's say Hamilton's leading like net P1 and somebody ahead of him is just going to pit. He gets held up for a fraction of a second. Max is five-tenths behind. Now all of a sudden Max is a tenth behind, as you said, right when that DRS zone down the main straight comes up. So I'm fascinated to see kind of how that works too this weekend. Yeah, that pit lane is a bit of an awkward spot right after that very tight chicane. Usually there's not too much passing except on that front stretch, but we could see some drama, who knows. Along with that whole story about Lewis and Nico taking each other out and Max winning as a teenager in 16, there was also the race where Pastor Maldonado, after years and years of trying, finally won his first F1 race for Williams back in 2012. That's right, Williams was good in 2012. If they're good at tire preservation, this could be a good race for them because this is normally a track where, because all these teams have all this data, usually it comes down to tire preservation. So we'll see who can kind of keep their tires going and who can't and uh, should be quite interesting to see. And we've also got some drama with the weather. So Friday and Saturday, practice and qualifying day, everything looks nice and fine. But for Sunday's race, forecast right now, this is as of Thursday, Cloudy skies and a slight chance of rain. I think I was seeing about 30 to 40% chance of showers. It probably won't happen, but I hope. To have another wet race this early in the year. Ooh, I love it. And I, I, I'd love to see it happen with like 10 laps to go because then you get that decision like, do I pit for rain? Like for slick t- or for intermediate tires or do I stay out and try to handle a wet racetrack? Try to take the dries to the end. That's the age-old question. And talk about the rain, especially like we're to again, we're both gamers. And I texted you about this one day too. But if we could get lots of rain races this year, that would shake up the standing so much because there's so many different variables about when do you pit, when do you change from slicks to dries, or, or from wets to slicks, etc. But the story I want to share is I actually, in the F1 game, so you can play a full season, 22 races in the game. There was a stint after my first race. So in the game, it starts in Australia because that's where the 2020 season would have started. I had nine straight races of wet racing. The whole race was wet. That's crazy. And that was, if I went back and I looked at that save file, I haven't touched it in a while since those nine wet races. I'm scared about the 10th one. I don't want it to rain again. (laughs) 
but it was so crazy because all of a sudden it was like Kimi Raikkonen was leading the championship by like three points. Roman Grosjean was in fourth. And it just shook what? everything up. Yeah, I wow. know. Random, right? But <laughs> shook everything up. So wet racing is always welcome. And we'll see you again on Sunday if there's another opportunity. Cross your fingers. Cross your fingers. It's exciting. Do a rain dance. I don't know what else you need to do, but... <laughs> Those work 100% of the time. Or what you'll see is, like, the broadcast would be, like, one of the engineers would be like, okay, there's uh, rain 10 minutes away, rain 10 minutes away, five laps later, rain is coming, rain is coming, and then you all this speculation, you just see these dark clouds pouring on, like, the city three kilometers away, and you're like, well, nope, it's never going to be here. <laughs> and then the last lap, it just downpour goes from slicks to wet conditions full wet tires in one yeah you need like a monsoon for that to happen (laughs) that's only in singapore or japan it'll happen on the (laughs) cool down lap oh yeah (laughs) like lewis will cross the finish line at first and then all of a sudden downpour and be like oh where were you five minutes earlier uh yeah but should be an interesting race hopefully because the standings for the top two and for really the next four positions are nice and tight uh, Hamilton right now leads the standings to 69 points. Max Verstappen's only 8 behind with 61. Lando Norris with 37. He's ahead of Valtteri Bottas, who has 32. Charles Leclerc with 28. Sergio Perez with 22. Daniel Ricciardo with 16. Carlos Sainz, 14 points. Esteban Ocon has 8. Pierre Gasly with 7. Lance Stroll's got 5. Fernando Alonso also has 5. And Yuki Tsunoda with two points so should see should be interesting to see how those standings change as of monday more well i guess it'd be sunday afternoon in our time sunday morning well sunday morning yeah races at seven o'clock here so very true it is an early one this week so by the time 9 30 rolls around we'll have a different standings for you (laughs) yeah exactly Um, but yeah, so that's obviously that's not the only one going on. We got the triple header in NASCAR over at Darlington. If you're going to watch that one for the first time at Darlington, what you will get used to is guys going really close to the wall because the, the, the best way to get the traction on that track is to basically hug the wall like within an inch or two of the wall without touching it and it just gets you the most speed. Uh, you'll see a lot of that, especially as the race goes on. It's tougher to pass on the inside. And uh, some of the best drivers who can get right on that high line. That could probably make the difference between winning or losing. So, should be fun to see. Also, a little disappointing, the cup race name. It's the Goodyear 400. No Racy McRace race. This week we can't have uh, can't have an epic race name every weekend. Nothing like the Bushy McBush race. <laughs> well, let's see what NASCAR's got for the other two. It's going to be a darling of a race in Darlington. Ah, there we go. I like it. There's a, there's a classic name for the track called the Lady in Black. She's always waiting off turn four because there's people that just go a little too hard on the throttle to come out of the out of turn four and just hit the wall. So it will sneak up on you. Yeah, and uh, I did check. None of the races are exciting in terms of names. So, um, oh, yeah, the Steakhouse Elite Two Hundred and the Lift Kits for Less Two Hundred. 
Eh. So, I mean, if you want to sponsor our podcast, then give us a call. But <laughs> <laughs> we need the Bushy McBush Racing Podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a rebrand after season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think that's pretty much it from us. If you get a chance, again, reach out. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at the A Racing Pod. That's our Twitter handle. Or, of course, there's the old school email at the A Racing Podcast. That is the EH Racing Podcast at gmail.com. We don't have snail mail. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like that's more old school. That is the, well, I guess, yeah. Like a, true. Email is still pretty modern. That'd be like saying old school's DVDs, but like, no, old school's Blockbuster. Oh, VHS. Yeah. Oh, man. Good old Blockbuster. Two day rentals. <laughs> yep. Um, Late fees, though. Well, I'm going to go spend the next hour reminiscing on uh, the good old days. <laughs> so. <laughs> the good old days of Blockbuster. But until next week. Enjoy your race weekend. Yes, enjoy the race weekend, and we'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye.